Welcome, friends and family, to our worship service this morning. My name is Trevor. We are set up up top this morning because there was about a 30% chance of rain. And so uh, it's a little easier for us to move all this electronic equipment in and out much more quickly if it did start to rain. But it hasn't rained, and we have not experienced rain here as a church on a Sunday morning in over a year. And so we praise the Lord for that. And I have been praying that the Lord would send rain throughout the week because we're in a drought. And uh, I'm not saying it's my prayer, but um, it looks like we're going to have rain tomorrow. So um, for those of you who work outdoors tomorrow, God bless you. Um, but we're going to have rain tomorrow. But it's great to be here. And it's wonderful weather. The sun's come out a little bit. And we are uh, together as a church in the Gospel of John. So this morning, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to spend some time together this morning, uh, listening in on a prayer that Jesus has uh, in the Gospel of John. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. It's good to have you here. We hope that you would feel welcome. Uh, if you are joining us online, thank you for tuning in. We do hope and would love to have you in person, especially as we get closer to Easter Sunday. We really do anticipate a wonderful Easter service together. We have been walking through the Gospel of John uh, verse by verse. And that can take some churches years. We've done it in sections. Uh, and so it has taken us quite a while as we've done it each spring uh, over the last couple of years. And we find ourselves this week in John chapter 17 where we will do a kind of deep dive in the text, hoping to once again hear what the Lord would have for us. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with much Shakespeare, but Hamlet is one of Shakespeare's great works. And if you've never read Hamlet, it's filled with all kinds of interesting things. Ghosts, murder, love scenes, accidents, betrayal, accusations, drama... Through much of the story of Hamlet, the titular character Hamlet is sort of wrestling with these massive challenges and problems, not sure what to do throughout the story. And at one moment in the story, everything stops. Hamlet gets an opportunity to take the life of Claudius, his stepfather. Claudius had killed Hamlet's father. And he had stolen the throne. This is Hamlet's big chance to get revenge. But everything stops when Hamlet discovers Claudius in his own chamber, kneeling quietly, praying. Hamlet begins to wonder, is Claudius repenting? If Claudius is repenting, then to take Claudius' life may end up saving him. So he decides not to do anything. The prayer has stopped him in his tracks. It's like that with prayer, isn't it? Prayer is a kind of strange thing. Maybe you'll be out in the city and you'll see someone before their meal praying. And it's always encouraging to see people do that. But as often as me and my family will pray when we are out before eating our meals, it always feels strange to in that moment commune with God in the midst of a noisy and busy world. 
There's something that happens in prayer as we are communing with God. Something holy that takes place. And people aren't sure what to do about it. People aren't sure exactly what's happening in that moment. We don't always see or understand what the communion of God looks like in other people's lives as they draw are drawn closer to God in prayer. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17 Jesus is only hours away from Good Friday. He's only hours away from his life being taken. Well, his life is not taken from him. He will give up his life at the cross. It's going to happen very soon. And as you're reading the Gospel of John, Jesus has just given some final instructions. And then we're stopped in our tracks when we get to John 17. As we pause together and consider that we get to now listen in. To Jesus praying. This prayer has sometimes been called the Lord's Lord's Prayer. For Jesus did teach his disciples how to pray a prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. But this is the Lord's Lord's Prayer. And if you study them closely, you'll see Jesus follows his own teaching. But this prayer is the prayer of Jesus recorded for us. That it might stop us to hear this prayer, that we might understand it and join in on it. He had just given his disciples, his friends, their final instructions. It's the night of his betrayal. And in John 17, Jesus begins to pray. Would you follow along with me as we read the first 19 verses of John 17? And as we listen in together to Jesus praying to his Father. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. 
I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. When the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones taught through John chapter 17, he did it in 43 sermons. We're going to do it in two. We're not better than he is by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to take a sort of broad view of this text. But I, I need to start by just inviting you to the understanding, the privilege of being able to listen in on Jesus' very prayer before his Father. So I ask you maybe this week, and you'll do this in your community groups, and I hope you do it alone, to meditate on this prayer. Not just to read it this morning on Sunday as we gather, but to really to spend a little bit of time in it, to join in on it. But this morning we're going to take a, a higher level view of it. I'm going to draw a couple big principles out of it. And I will not be able to do this text justice. But in my prayer and preparation, here are the couple of the things that the Lord has laid on my heart for our church as it pertains to this prayer, John 17. The two things I'm going to spend time on this morning. The first is on God-glorifying prayer. What is God-glorifying prayer? And how do we ensure that our prayers are God-glorifying? I imagine if you're here and you are a person of prayer, you want to make sure that your prayers are God-glorifying. What does that mean? What does that look like? And secondly, we're going to talk about truth-empowered mission. Truth-empowered mission. Mission For to be a Christian is not merely to gather on Sunday and to sing songs and to pray prayers and to hear sermons. It is to be a people who are on mission with God, joining God in what he's doing. But we're going to need the power of his truth to do that. So first, God glorifying prayer. And second, truth empowered mission. That's how we'll spend our time together. So first, God glorifying prayer. In the first five verses of John 17, Jesus begins to pray for himself. His hour has come, which is just a way of saying the weekend is here. The cross is upon him. He's lived his life. He's done all he has set out to do. He has done the miraculous. He has done preaching and teaching. He has led and spoken truth. But the central thing he came to do now stands right up against him. His hour has come. The cross is just hours away. And what does he want? Verse 1 makes it clear what he wants in his prayer. He wants... To glorify the Father. He wants the Father to glorify Him so that He would glorify the Father. Now that word glorifying means to feel and to think 
and to act in ways that reflect the greatness of God. Ways that make much of God, that point to God, that give evidence to the supreme greatness of God and all of His attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of His manifold perfections. It's, to, it's to, to glorify the Father, right, is to make everything point to his beauty. And so here Jesus is praying. He begins by praying for himself. Father, glorify me. Why? So that people would then glorify you. Jesus is the Messiah. He is Christ. Jesus is God in flesh. If you want to know what God looks like, you have to look at Jesus. And he has been given, Jesus has, has been given authority over all people. And it's only through him and by him that anyone can be at peace with God. And now as his time has come, he wants the Father to glorify him so that he can glorify the Father. Here is a simple way of thinking about God glorifying prayer. I'm going to give you three words. If you're taking notes, write them down. This should be your prayer life. Your prayer life should be me for you. Those three words, me for you. Occasionally I'll meet Christians who have a hard time asking God for things. Sometimes I meet Christians who all they ever do is ask God for things. Jesus prays for himself. So there is reason to believe in Scripture that we ought to be praying for ourselves. Included are the many texts where Jesus encourages us to pray for our needs to be met. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Is it wrong to ask God for things? No, absolutely not. But Jesus models a prayer that we have to get. Our prayer should always be, me for you. Father, bless me so that I may glorify you. The Christian life is always about seeking blessing from God in order to direct others to God, to magnify Him, to glorify Him. So you may find yourself praying prayers. God, bless me in my work. Is that a me for me prayer, or is your prayer, God, bless me in my work so that I may glorify you. Bless me in my work so that other people would, in my work, in my life, in my opportunities, see you. God, bless our family. Why? So that you can have the best family? So that you can have the cool stuff? So that people can walk around and go, man, that's such a great family. Those kids are so well behaved. Man, they've, they've been so responsible. They've got nice stuff. What a wonderful little family. Is that the goal? I hope not. Instead, I hope the prayer you'd pray is, God, bless our family so that when people look at our family, they would glorify you. We pray, as I hope you do, God, bless our church. Why? So that we can have a popular church? So we can have a cool church? So that we can be a relevant church? God, I hope not. I hope the reason we pray for our church is God bless our church so that we may glorify you. 
So that we, we want to be a church where people, by being a part of this church, come to see how wonderful you are in all of your splendor, in all of your majesty, in all of your beauty. Me for you. Last week we talked about praying in Jesus' name and why that's difficult. And some of you might be going, it's hard to pray in Jesus' name because you want to make sure your prayers aren't selfish. I get that. I get that. How do we know that our prayers are not just really about us? Well, here's a couple of ways you might know your prayers are really about you. When God blesses someone else for his glory, does it make you jealous? Have you been praying a prayer that you want God to answer, and then you see God answer it or give it to someone else, and is your first instinct to go, God, I wish, God, I wish you didn't do that. I wish you had given it to me instead. If so, it might be likely that you're actually praying prayers that are me for me instead of me for you. So one of the things you can look at is, are you jealous when God doles out blessings to others? Some of us, if we're real honest, we do. We struggle with this. Secondly, when you don't get what you want, do you remain confident in his character and goodness? See, some of us, our attitude before the Lord is, God, when you give me what I want, I'll be very happy in praising you. And when you give me what I don't want, I'm going to be grumpy towards you, believing at the core of my being that you made a mistake. When you don't get what you want, do you remain confident in him to be about God's glory over your own blessing means trusting the giver of all good gifts to dole them out with great wisdom and goodness. Along with his mission, his character, his attributes. When you're praying God-glorifying prayers, when things get tough, you will remain confident in him. And people will look at you and they'll say, I don't understand that things aren't going the way you wanted them to go. And you will say, that's okay because I know that God is trustworthy and I know that God is good and my confidence is in him. And when you do that, it brings him glory. Sometimes I wonder whether or not the impression we give people, not intentionally but unintentionally, is that our God is kind of okay because the things we have in our life are kind of okay. But if instead our, our prayers and our posture in life was, God, we trust that whatever you give us will be for our good. We care more about your glory. Whatever it is for your glory, that's what we live for. That would show the magnitude of God. That's what Jesus is praying. I was talking to someone in our church a few months ago as we've gone through COVID. And obviously, COVID has impacted so many of us and in, in, in countless numbers of ways. We've had friends and family move away. We know people who have lost their lives. We have, uh, our, we, there's been just an incredible amount of adjustment and change, which has wrecked havoc on our kids and our lives. It's been tough. We all recognize that. I don't want to minimize that at all. But I was talking to a friend in our church, and, and what he said was um, that during COVID, when people kept asking him 
if he was afraid of getting COVID, he said, I'm not afraid of getting COVID, and I'm not afraid of death. I know exactly where I'm going. And what an opportunity that is in a world that is terrified of death. When people say, I'm not afraid of death, and I'm not afraid of this disease, because even if my life is taken from me, I know where I am going. I know that I will be in the presence of God. What an opportunity. I wonder if we missed that opportunity to say to people, we will, we will be wise, we will make good decisions, but we are Christians, we are not afraid of death. Our world is terrified of death, but not us. For we know where we're going. When you have that posture, it says that you are essentially not thinking about your own health, your own well-being, your own stuff, your own blessings. You're thinking about those things in light of God's glory. Me for you. Most of us pray to try to win God over. God, get onto my side. God, do the, like, be with me. That's a common prayer we pray. It's not a bad prayer, but sometimes people say, Lord, be with us. And sometimes I want to say, he already is. If you are in Christ, the question is not, is God for you? He is. If you are in Christ, the question is, are you for him? Are your prayers, me, God, me for you? Bless me for you. I, I lament the times when God has answered or given me things that, that were not rooted, where my prayer life was not rooted in God. I want this not for me, but for you. Let me ask you this morning, are your prayers, if I could dive into your prayer journal, your prayer lives, would I discover that the heart of your prayers are asking God for blessing in order to glorify God or for blessing to glorify yourself? Are your prayers me for me or are they me for you? So that's God glorifying prayer, me for you. Jesus spends the first five verses praying God would glorify him so that he would glorify the Father. And then he transitions in verse 6 and spends the bulk of his prayer praying for his 12 disciples. Well, not all 12 of them. He only prays for 11 of them. You see that in verse 12. He prays for this small group that he has been with. It's really good to have a small group of people committed to praying for you. If you're a part of a community group, you know the blessing of having a small group of people committed to praying for you. It's a wonderful thing. When you get together and you pray for a small, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. When you do that, you don't have to be looking to see who Judas is and not pray for them. You don't have to do that. You just pray for everybody. Um, but, but it's good to have people who are praying for you. It's an incredible blessing. Everybody needs Christian brothers and sisters. Every Christian needs brothers and sisters who are committed to praying for them. In fact, I'll say this. I've never met a strong Christian who did not have some people who are in their lives praying for them. Asking tough questions. Committed to praying for them. And you've probably heard me say this before, but I'll keep saying it. Everyone in here this morning, some, you, know, you all need people in your life who have proximity and permission. They've got to have 
They have to be close enough to you to be able to know what's going on in your life. And they've got to have permission to speak into your life, to ask you tough questions and pray for you. Can't just be proximity with no permission. That means you have people around you and they're all holding their thoughts. You've got to invite that in. Others of you, it's all permission, no proximity. They don't know you. They don't see your lives. You need both of those. Jesus is praying for them. He is really in their lives. He's praying for them. You need that. Come out of a lonely season. Man, we need community. I've just, one of my big prayers for our church is we are just, we desperately need community. We don't know who we are anymore. We have people who moved away. We're like everything, everything feels kind of rusty a little bit. We desperately need community. We desperately need friendship. If you're not a part of a community group, that's my pitch. Join one. So Jesus prays for his, this band, but what does he pray? Verses 11 through 15, he prays, Father, protect them unify them, don't take them out of the world, protect them, don't take them out of the world, keep them by your power, don't remove them, send them. You ever wonder why you're still around? The disciples probably did. Jesus said he's leaving. They were like, we want to go with you. Take us with you. Jesus says, no, I'm leaving, but I have a mission for you. And I want you to get this, right? This is the truth-empowered mission component of the text. Jesus, hear this, Jesus. Jesus does not pray, Father, protect them from the world. He prays, protect them for the world. This is all the difference. Not protect them from the world, protect them for the world. You see, it is tempting for us as Christians to be so concerned about corruption that then we begin to practice isolation. To be isolated from the world. We made a decision a few years ago to homeschool our kids. Our kids are homeschooled and from the outside it can look like isolation. That's criticism we've received. And for some Christians, they get excited. They find out we homeschool our kids, and they kind of run up to us, and, and here's their central idea. Man, the world is so bad, it's really good you're homeschooling your kids to protect them from all the corruption. Now, I want to be clear. We do not want our kids corrupted. And yes, we want to protect them. But we homeschool our kids not to protect them from, but to protect them for. Our major goal in my home is not to keep our kids from being corrupted by the world, though we desire that. Our desire is to equip them to be Christian in the world. Brothers, sisters, we need to hear the importance of this. David Platt said, the goal is not to disinfect Christians and put them on the shelf. It is to disciple them and put them into service. When you remove yourself from the world, what happens? You lose the very reason God has you in the world. Everything is better in heaven. Right? Seems obvious. Everything is better in heaven. 
the food is better, the, the, the relationships are better, nothing's marred by sin or tears or sadness. Everything is better in heaven save for one thing. In heaven, we do not to be, get to be on mission to reach our neighbors who do not know the goodness of God. In heaven, we will not have the ability to share and serve and invite non-believers into relationship with our beautiful, wonderful God. Look, I know that you're worried about cultural headwinds. I know that you read the paper and you look around and you're concerned about the way in which the world is changing. It's changing fast. Hear me when I say this. In this city, with so much change and so much difficulty and so much darkness, hear me, you are the people. You're who God has chosen to send into this city. Jesus is sending you here. God does not have us in this city so that we will only gather together and talk about how hard it is to be Christian in the world. No, we gather and then we are scattered. Do you have people in your life who you know that you are sent to? Do you have friends outside of the church? Do you have neighbors you connect with? Do you have a job with relationship with people who don't know the Lord? Do you have friends that you are sent to? You do, I pray the Lord would open your eyes to see that your responsibility in those relationships is to love and to serve and to point people to the beauty of our God. You don't work where you work just because it was an opportunity for you. You don't live where you live just because it was affordable or not affordable and so you needed all those roommates. You don't go to school where you go to school just because there was an open door. You're sent there if you are a Christian. There is no such thing as an unsent Christian. So now that you've got that, I hope you see that, Jesus is really big on, I'm sending them into the world. He's sending us into the world. The question is, how do we accomplish this mission? His argument, verse 17, and his prayer as he's praying, is by being sanctified. To be sanctified is to be set apart. It is to be holy. You're called to be set apart. Set apart and sent. How do we become set apart? You see, you got to hear this language. It's important. Some of us think set apart means removed. No, do not think that. That is not what Jesus says. It's being set apart while being sent. And we are set apart by remaining in the truth. Let me, let me maybe say it this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. We are not set apart by removal. We are set apart by remaining. You're not set apart by removal, you're set apart by remaining. When the world gets darker, our responsibility is to cling tightly to Jesus to shine brighter. When the world runs from the light, we run to it so that we might be a people of light. Jesus wants you in the world, not shaped by it, not defined by it. 
And the only way to do this is by meeting with God in His Word. Brothers, sisters, I fear for those of you who have allowed boredom in the Bible to keep you from communion with God. The greatest way to recognize a lie is by knowing what's true. Years ago, Buzz Aldrin, the, the astronaut, found himself in the news. Maybe you know the story. He had punched a man in the face. Walked on the moon, punched a man in the face. Why did he punch a man in the face? Well, he was lured into a conversation by a man who believed he didn't walk on the moon. Imagine going to the moon, walking on the moon, and returning to have some guy tell you you didn't walk on the moon. Sometimes the greatest way to identify and recognize the lie is by knowing the truth. When you know the truth, you can spot the lie. So when a man comes up and he says, you didn't go to the... It's like, of course I went to the moon. I was there. I was on the moon. You know nothing. He knew the truth, and therefore he recognized the lie. There are lies everywhere. Our kids, our friends, the media, even sometimes in the church, there are lies. And our, our kids and our families, we, our job is to help them know the truth. That's why we gather week in and week out. Parents, if you're here, I want you to hear this from me. Some of you need to think less about what you're keeping uh, your kids out of, and you need to think more about what you're putting into them. Some of you need to think less about what you're keeping them out of and more about what you need to put into them. Many kids today reject Christian faith because they only know it by its political ideology. They only know it by its political idolatry. They only know it by what it's against. They only know it by what it stands in opposition to. They don't see the beauty of what it's for. You want a successful life? Do you want a life based on truth? Do you want to build your life on the rock, Jesus said? Do you want your family to be a success? Get into God's word and allow God's word to get into you. In our home, I pay my kids to memorize the catechism. I pay them more than I should. Anything to get it into them. We read books together. We do family devotions together. We've chosen to be here in Sunday school over sports. My kids are never going to be professional athletes. Some of you, that's a real thing. You're probably thinking, man, my kid might be athletes. There's some athletic kids in the church. My kids never going to play professional sports. A 0% chance they're ever going to play professional sports. There is a 100% chance that they will be in either heaven or hell. I know that that's like, whoa, I can't believe he said that. It's just true. 
It's just true. I care about my kids' souls. I care about them knowing the truth. And I'm preparing them to be kids who understand the truth of God's word and then love their neighbors well enough to live the truth, to share the truth, to embody the truth as they fail doing it constantly as we all do. In our home, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First. So Jesus is concerned about the importance of the word. He's concerned about a couple of things. In verse 8, you'll see, they needed to know everything that Jesus had spoken are words of God. This book that we ask you, that I beg of you to spend more time in. Do not believe the lie that God is not going to speak to you in this book. He will speak to you in this book. This is, not a, this is not just another ancient book. This is God's word. We gather together. I'm not giving a TED talk. This is a sermon. There's a difference. And you can't separate Jesus from the Bible. That's a common today. I like Jesus. I don't like the Bible. You don't get to do that if you follow Jesus. He said that his word and the rest of the words are God's words. The whole thing is authoritative. The disciples' testimony about Jesus comes from God. This is not a book called Musings About Jesus. This is God's word. Jesus also wanted them to internalize these words. They had heard the word and Jesus says that they had accepted the word. Jesus goes around sometimes saying, people hear but they don't hear. Look, let's be honest, that's happening right now in this space, isn't it? Some of you are hearing this sermon, and others of you are hearing this sermon. It's our prayer and desire that the Holy Spirit would give all of us ears to hear. You've got to hear and hear. You've got to meet with God in prayer so that you can hear and hear. Get together in community groups who will help us hear and hear. To hear and put into practice. Look, I can't, I can't. Like I said, we can't, I'm just scraping the surface of John 17. It's too good, there's too much there. But let me wrap up. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And part of what he says to the Father is that each one of his disciples is God's treasured possession. You realize that? You probably don't. Let me, let, me, let me put it this way. God the Father gave his son a gift, and the gift he gave his son was you. If you are a Christian, you are a present from God the Father to God the Son. You are God's treasured possession, made holy by Jesus, and then sent into the world all for God's glory. This is Jesus' prayer, but he doesn't just pray this. He goes from the prayer to the cross to make it possible. He lived, Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again so that whoever believed in him, whoever put their faith and trust in him, could become a brand new person. Forgiven, restored, and made new. Do you know the power of God? After Jesus rose again, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And in Hebrews 7 it says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. 
Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Let me end by just giving you this thing to think about. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is praying for us right now. Always living to intercede for us. We're not just praying to Jesus. We're praying with Jesus. And Jesus is praying for you. John 17 is so much more than a prayer to be read. It is a prayer that we ought to hear, understand, and join in on. So I asked my kids this last week if there was anybody in the world who, would be, who could pray for them, who would they be excited about having pray for them? It was kind of one of those dad, pastor, gotcha moments where they thought, you know, they thought to themselves, I knew the right answer was Jesus. So they gave me examples. I'd say, oh, it'd be great. Like this person, man, if that person prayed for me, it would mean a lot. And I just wanted them to know that Jesus prays for them. And I want you to know that Jesus is praying for you. Praying that you might be holy. Praying that you might hear his word, that you might fall in love with it. Praying that you might have eyes to see that the world around you is a part of his mission and he's sending you into it. Sent into it, empowered by his word, holding on to the truth, being sanctified, praying prayers that are not about our blessing, but about his glory. There's so much here, but I hope that the Lord has challenged you this morning. Let's now turn to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that we get to hear this prayer. We thank you that by the work of Jesus, we are saved. Lord, we pray for those who are here this morning who, have, who don't know you. They've not trusted in you. They have not believed in you. They have not given their whole lives to you. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would have powerfully, by your spirit, helped them to see who they are, to open their eyes, to give them hearts, for you, for your kingdom, for your glory. Lord, I pray that they would taste of your forgiveness this morning and they would, they would cross that, that threshold into being a part of your family through faith alone. And Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, we pray that our church would be blessed by you to glorify you. And Lord, we know it does glorify you when we join on your mission. We know it glorifies you when our prayers glorify you. It glorifies you when we're in your word, learning about you, when we're putting those words into practice, when we're raising our families well, and we're ministering to our friends and coworkers and neighbors well. And Lord, we want to glorify you, so help us to do that, for we cannot do it apart from your power. And we thank you that right now as we pray this prayer, Father, that we see Jesus joining us in praying it as he prays for us. Lord, I pray that we would know the beauty of Jesus, that we would have God-glorifying prayers, and that our mission would be empowered by your word, by the truth. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. And use our prayers to glorify yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.